In 2020, around 40 Chinese companies defaulted on bonds that were worth around $30 billion, and that amounts to 14% higher than the year before, according to a Bloomberg analysis. At the end of last year, there were a number of fairly high-profile and also unexpected bond defaults in mainland China as well. So we figured it would be prudent to talk to someone who covers SOE debt and the relevant trappings in order to unpack what's happening with the recent bond defaults and what we can expect moving forward. To help us dig through these issues, we are chatting with Tianlei Huang, who is a research analyst at the Peterson Institute for International Economics. From Washington, D.C., I'm Ian Hutchinson, and this is the China Business Review Podcast. All right, Tianlei. So to start, how debt-laden is China's corporate sector compared to that of other economies? Well, by the end of June last year, China's non-financial corporate debt is more than 160% of China's GDP. And this is substantially higher than most major economies around the world. Uh, for example, in the U.S., by mid-2020, this number is 84%. And in the euro area in Japan, it's roughly 114%. The G20 aggregate is a little more than 100%. So China's corporate debt, uh, so China's corporate sector is indeed heavily indebted. With that said, I don't think reducing the level of debt per se is something that we should prioritize at this current situation because economic recovery and of course controlling the spread of the virus is still the number one priority in most countries around the world, certainly including China. So rising corporate debt level as a result of you know, the various policy easing measures is, I think, really, in a sense, inevitable. I think what we should instead focus on right now is the debt servicing capacity of the corporate sector, which means that we need to think about how uh, we use the money that the corporates are borrowing today to make the companies competitive again in the future so that they will be able to service their debt when the economy is back to normal. Mm-hmm. And, and what are some of the latest examples of high-profile debt defaults for, for Chinese companies? Perhaps let me provide some context before uh, I dive into that question. Uh, so before 2020, it was mostly private issuers that defaulted on their bonds. Um, there were also SOEs that defaulted on their bonds, but both the number of those SOEs and the size of the defaults were rather limited. You may remember that there was a sharp increase in bond default events in 2019. And in total, there was more than 150 companies defaulted on their bonds uh, in that year, and more than 90% were private issuers. And one reason why in the past, most defaults happened to private companies rather than SOEs was because almost all local Chinese governments, at least until recently, were so used to bailing out underperforming local state firms rather than letting them default on their bonds. This had resulted in a so-called implicit state guarantee behind state firm liabilities, which you may have heard of uh, in the past, which refers to a widely held belief among Chinese corporate bond investors that the government will always bail out underperforming state companies rather than letting them fail. Well, it works perfectly fine in good times when the government has abundant fiscal resources. But in times of crisis like this, when the government itself is also struggling with its own surging deficit, it becomes a problem. So what happened since last year, late last year, was that uh, a number of state control companies became enabled to make principal or interest payments on their bonds. And the, va- the value of the bonds that uh, these SOE defaulted uh, last year was more than $100 billion. RMB, and most of those SOEs are in sectors like coal, steel, and construction, which 
are usually considered uh, as overcapacity sectors. And most of those companies already had a profitability problem before the defaults, but they were still able to get the highest ratings from domestic agencies. And they were able to finance uh, through the credit markets uh, because of the backing of the government. But this perceived implicit state guarantee seems to be fading. In most of the SOE default cases that happened last year, local governments are now less willing to bail out these distressed state firms and are now letting some of them default on their bonds, which was rare in the past. While some prominent default cases uh, in the past few months include Yongchen, Coal and Electricity Corporation in Henan, um, which used to be one of the most renowned and profitable mining companies in China. It was AAA rated before the default. And in November last year, uh, the company defaulted on RMB3 billion worth bonds, which was shocking to the entire corporate bond market. And the provincial government in Henan was also reluctant to bail out Yongchen because the government itself was struggling, as I said, with its own surging fiscal deficit. And I guess another um, high-profile case is uh, probably Tsinghua Unigroup, which is a well-known chip maker um, and usually viewed as a national champion in semiconductors. Also in November, the company defaulted on RMB 1.3 billion worth bonds and most blamed the company's aggressive acquisitions it did over the past few years for the company's high and unsustainable liability level. And the government, like in the case uh, of Yongchen, also did not choose to bail out the company. So these are just two examples. There were uh, more cases, similar cases to those. So it seems like implicit state guarantee is no longer a golden rule, which I think in general is a good, good news to the bond market, as well as to the entire Chinese economy. So it's probably too early to come to the conclusion that the era of implicit state guarantee has come to an end, because I think government bailouts going forward will continue to exist. Um, so probably on a smaller scale and become um, more selective. So is the disappearance of this implicit state guarantee, is it more a result of the government dealing with the economic fallout from COVID-19, or is it an independent effort to reduce corporate debt levels and SOEs, or something of a mixture of the two? Can, can you even really untangle them? Well, I guess it's a mixture of the two that you just mentioned. I mean, for the companies themselves, well, many of them uh, defaulted because uh, they're short uh, of liquidities. Uh, it's, it's, it's definitely a result of COVID, uh, of the economic downturn brought by the COVID uh, pandemic. Also, the government that used to uh, default these companies, now they're, they themselves are in big troubles now. So, I mean, uh, it's partly... I guess it's partly intended. Uh, the government is letting some of those very inefficient firms to go under, uh, but not all of them. Um, I think uh, some companies that are viewed as strategically important will still continue to be bailed out in the future if they ever encounter uh, financial distress. So we've seen these signs from the central government that it's less willing to bail out companies that are failing. So is there evidence of a change of actual policy here, or is it more just talk to make it look like work is being done on tackling SOE debt issues? Uh, what kind of evidence would you look for moving forward to judge whether this is a trend that's likely to stay or not? That's a very good question. Uh, first of all, I don't think it's just talks. I mean, the signs we have seen so far all seem to suggest that SOE bond defaults are now more tolerated and um, in a sense more encouraged to continue beyond 2020. 
Um, you may have noticed that the Chinese securities regulator CSRC has recently suggested that it will keep facilitating um, the orderly exposure of risks in areas including bond defaults in 2021. I think this suggests that uh, at least in the uh, uh, short run, more likely than not, we'll continue to see a marginal increase in SOE bond default cases like those of Yongchen and Tsinghua Yunnui Group, like I just described it. But large-scale bond defaults will be unlike, um, and I believe that is the right approach. And as I uh, mentioned earlier, I think government bailouts going forward will continue to exist, um, but will be more selective. Uh, because don't forget that the Chinese economy is still in recovery mode. It does not make a whole lot of sense to let too many underperforming state firms to go under on all at once. And also don't forget that China is in the tech war with the US and some other nations. Um, and China is determined to achieve self-reliance on some cutting edge technologies uh, as a result. Um, so this means China needs to pour an enormous amount of resources into some selected high-tech industries, uh, which is sometimes is of course already happening, for example, in semiconductors. So I, I think the state firms that are viewed uh, strategically important by the states are probably uh, still going to be bailed out, as I just said, if they ever encounter any financial distress. This is what I meant by government bailouts going forward being selected. All right, so maybe you could dig into the relationship between the banking sector and public SOE debt. I mean, a less appreciated fact is that um, most of China's corporate debt are actually in the form of bank loans. Well, it is true that uh, China's corporate bond market is growing fast, but total corporate bond outstanding is only a little more than 3.5 trillion dollars, so roughly 15% of China's overall corporate debt. And the more important channel for Chinese firms to get financed is through bank loans. Roughly $16 trillion in China's corporate debt today is in the form of bank loans. Um, we know that uh, the Chinese government has adopted various policy easing measures in response to the pandemic since January uh, last year. Um, on the one hand, the central government has directed all banks to allow small businesses to delay repaying the principal and interest on their loans through at least the end of March this year, as long as the firms agree to avoid large-scale layoffs. On the other hand, the banking regulator has asked banks not to classify those loans that are 90 days past U.S. non-performing. And plus, the continued weak performance of many SOEs, as revealed by the string of SOE bond defaults uh, since late last year. I think these all suggest that the pressures on Chinese banks' balance sheets has substantially intensified since last year. We talked about uh, implicit state guarantee uh, behind SOE uh, liabilities just now. And I also should stress that uh, such implicit guarantees exist not only in the credit markets, but also in bank loans. And similar liquidity shortages of both corporate lenders and their controlling local governments are, I believe, also affecting banks' asset quality adversely. So the financial stability risks in China are indeed rising. Okay, how about rating agencies? I know they're also tangentially related to this conversation too. Um, what role did those rating agencies play in this discussion of bond defaults? Well, um, well, that's an important issue. Most of the state companies that defaulted on their bonds since the second half of 2020 all received uh, AAA or AA plus ratings from domestic rating agencies. Um, and the interest rates, as a result, these firms had to pay when financing through 
the credit markets was much slower than it is supposed to be, since the risks of their weak fundamentals were not priced in because of the state uh, implicit state guarantee. Now, this wave of bond defaults by these companies with highest ratings is raising a red flag about the rating quality of domestic agencies. And clearly, um, rating, uh, ratings provided by uh, domestic agencies have been greatly inflated. Um, and in fact, China's biggest credit rating firm, China Chenxi International Credit Rating, has been banned by the regulator from rating any new bonds for three months. Uh, so hopefully domestic Chinese agencies will step up their game in the future. And they'd better do so quickly because they're now about to face serious competition in this industry that they have never seen before because of the entry of the big three international rating agency. Okay, so moving forward then, what kind of impacts will this likely have on the broader economy or more specifically foreign involvement in these debt holdings? Well, um, in fact, foreign holdings of Chinese onshore corporate bonds are uh, minuscule. <laughs> I know there are many media stories lately about uh, foreign portfolio investment in Chinese onshore securities hitting new record. Well, it's absolutely true, but don't forget that the majority of foreign investors' holdings in China's onshore bond market is actually in central government bonds and policy banknotes. They're the only, frankly, uh, bond securities right now that foreign investors trust the most. Uh, and the reason why foreign holdings of Chinese corporate bonds is so limited is partly because foreign investors uh, oftentimes regard the credit ratings provided by domestic Chinese rating agencies with great suspicion. And as a result, they choose to hold only a tiny slice of China's corporate bond market. And I think their uh, holdoff has been proved to be the right move in light of those recent bond default events by those SOE issuers uh, who uh, had the highest ratings from domestic agencies before their default. Um, so I think in the short run, foreign investors will continue to be cautious about at least Chinese SOE bonds, but that may probably change over the medium to the long term, since more and more Chinese corporates are now expected to request ratings by foreign agencies. And presumably that will provide foreign investors with better information. Um, now with the big three uh, international rating agencies having now received regulatory approval to operate either majority owned or wholly owned units in China, they are now also eligible to rate onshore uh, renminbi denominated bonds. I think it's reasonable to expect a rise in foreign holdings in Chinese uh, corporate bonds over the medium to the long term. And if we look at the broader bond market, I think foreign investors will keep pouring money into China's treasury bonds and policy banknotes. And the overall foreign portfolio investment in China's onshore and maybe denominated assets will almost certainly continue to rise. Because one of the most important reasons is that the yields of China's uh, assets are just too attractive for international investors to, to ignore. Um, the yield differential on 10-year government bonds, for example, um, in China compared with the US has widened to an average of more than two percentage points since the second half of 2020. And given that the Federal Reserve has signaled that they will keep US interest low for a considerable period of time, it should be safe to expect that uh, international investors will continue to invest heavily in Chinese um, uh, securities, at least government and policy bank bonds. 
So I know we touched on this in a previous podcast we did on zombie firms, but if the government is less likely to prop up companies that don't have those strong fundamentals, what what does that tell us about the SOE sector in the long run? Well, um, as you know, Ian, I have been calling for the government since 2019 to allow more non-viable state firms to default on their bonds because such defaults, I think, would help at least reduce the effect of um, uh, this implicit state guarantee for state firm liabilities. And doing so would also force the state-owned sector to adhere to harder budget constraints uh, and exercise greater discipline. And in the end, this will be helpful for the entire SOE sector in the long run. Um, it will raise their efficiency, their productivity. It will also help, uh, it will also help to leveling uh, the playing field for uh, firms with all ownership status, I think. All right, and now last but not least, do you think that these defaults at large companies and the implications for less government support for some of these Chinese SOEs with weaker fundamentals, do you think that that will have an impact on US or other foreign companies that are operating in the market in some way or other? Well, I think this should be viewed as a welcoming news by um, US uh, but also international uh, investors and companies operating in China. Well, because now underperforming SOEs must pay higher interest on their debt securities. Otherwise, they won't be able to access the credit markets. So uh, the allocation of resources is, I think, becoming fairer. So there's still a long way uh, to go uh, for China to actually achieve competitive neutrality in that regard. But, but with greater discipline of SOEs in the credit markets, I think it will become um, probably become more easy, become easier and even cheaper probably in the future for firms of other ownership status, including foreign investor firms uh, in China to get financed through China's bond markets. China Business Review podcast is a production of the U.S. China Business Council and also the companion to our digital magazine of the same name. You can always read more articles about the economic and business aspects of the U.S.-China relationship at chinabusinessreview.com. If you like the show, please leave it a rating, leave it a review. It will help other people find it, and you can always send it to them directly. As always, thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon.